I'm excited because, well, first of all, if you've not met me before, my name is Jack and I am the youth leader from here, King's Church in Lewis. Um, And that's really exciting because as I was praying and preparing to speak to you guys tonight, I was actually going to speak on a completely different passage. I was going to speak on um, a verse in 2 Corinthians and I was going to talk about how we're changed by the gospel. But as I was praying about it and as I was looking at what we were going to do tonight, I really felt like God completely stopped me in my tracks. And I, I felt like God said to me, don't preach that. Don't, don't teach that to these guys. This evening, we've changed the name and it's now called Captivated. And I felt like God was saying, that's because I want them I want all of you guys from Heathfield, Hailsham, Uckfield, Crowborough, Lewis, I want you guys to be captivated by me. And so I felt like I was going to change uh, what I was going to speak on. And so I'm going to be speaking about Jesus tonight, which is great. And uh, we're going to be looking in Mark chapter 8. So if you've got a Bible and you want to follow along with what I'm saying, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. If you haven't got a Bible, uh, Tough luck, because where we've normally got some at the back, they don't seem to be there. Someone near you will have a Bible. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, and we're going to be starting in verse 27. And if you want a title for tonight, I've simply called it, He is Better. He is Better. That is the title. So uh, let me just read the passage, okay? So Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. And I'll be reading from the non-irritating version, NIV. Okay. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. What about you, he said? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you're the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke Jesus. He began to tell him off. And when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. That's about the worst thing you could say to someone, isn't it? Get behind me, Satan. And he said, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called a crowd over to himself, along with his disciples. And he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, And follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. I'm going to pray just before I get stuck into that. Father, I love it that we can come together and hear from you. I pray that you would speak to us all even now. That you'd help me as we look at your word. And I pray for everyone here that we would be captivated by you. We'd see more of you and what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Now before I really start to explain what this passage is all about, I want to tell you a story that happened to me okay, and my mate Dave. Okay? My mate Dave came to me several years ago um, and he wanted to confess to me that he was having some troubles with the ladies. Okay? And uh, he came to me and he said uh, that with this one girl in particular, okay, he said things were going really well. They were going fantastically until one day it all kind of got a bit awkward. The relationship got confusing. And he said to me, I just don't understand what went wrong. And he came to me and uh, I said, all right, Dave. And he really is called Dave. His name's Dave. I probably shouldn't be saying this, should I? His name's not Dave. Um, But anyway, he came to me and I said, let me just ask you a few questions. First off, Dave, have you been initiating some time with this girl alone, just you and her, one-on-one, maybe getting a drink, uh, some coffee or something. And he said to me, yeah, yeah, maybe four or five times. I said, okay. In any of these moments where you two are alone together, have you held her hand? He said, yeah, maybe the last, last one or two times. I was like, okay, okay, one or two times, holding hand. Okay. Let me just ask you this one then, Dave. Have you had a DTR? He said, a what? I said, a DTR. I think we found our problem, Dave. You need to have a DTR, a define the relationship moment, okay? That moment, you know, some of you know what I'm talking about. That moment, Dave, I said to him, where you explain where you're going, what you're doing. He said, I haven't, I haven't even thought about such a thing. I said, oh, Dave, Dave, come on. She's wondering some things. She's trying to work out where will, you're going, what you're doing. Tell me, Dave, you didn't kiss her in this moment. He said, well, maybe. I said, maybe? Surely you know this or not. Did you... I said, Dave, you've got to have yourself a DTR so that you too know where you are and where things stand. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you may have known that moment, maybe after school, after college, wherever you're at. And you know when you're in that moment and then you're as a whole bunch of friends hanging out and there's one person of the opposite gender who's that little bit more interested in you. And as you're talking to them, you're sharing some things, they, they start talking to you and sort of everybody else around you is kind of no longer in the conversation. Everything goes a bit fuzzy. And maybe everybody else gets bored and they start to go home and there's just you two left, okay? And you start, continue talking and maybe the guy goes, hey... Um, Maybe I should get your number, because I'm, I'm liking this conversation. I'm liking where it's going, and I'd like to continue talking. And so you get each other's numbers, and maybe you start texting each other, and you can tell if someone's in this part of the relationship, because their phone will go, and they'll pick it up, and they'll have a little smirk, and they'll have a little read, and then they'll text back, and then they'll put it away again. Maybe you have a couple of phone calls, and then you get to the point where someone says, hey, let's, 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 let's go for coffee or something after school, so that we can, you know, chat face-to-face. It's more personal if we just talk face-to-face and continue this conversation some more. And then maybe after this has happened three or four times, you've gone out, or your buddies start to find out, and they start saying, hey, what, what's going on with you two? And we're just talking. It's just talking. It's just conversation. That's all that's going on. And then you go for conversation, and maybe two weeks into it, the, the conversation happens. And it goes something like this, you know, 
girl might go, it's been, it's been fun this last couple of weeks, you know. Been hanging out. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been cool. I've been enjoying it. It's been, it's been fun. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been good. It's been real good. But, uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been good. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. But you, you know, some people have been, uh, you know, saying some things. Yeah, what have they been saying? Have they been saying things to you? They've been saying things to me as well. Yeah, yeah, they've been saying things. They've been asking me, is she like your girlfriend or something? And you've been like, guys, shut up. Shut up. No, we're just, we're just talking. And she's like, oh, they're saying things to you? Because they're saying things to me as well. They're saying things to me as well. Are they saying things to you? And the conversation goes on for a while until someone breaks this back and forth. And maybe it's her, Okay. And, and it goes something like this. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's been... Uh, so what do you say when they ask you that? And let me tell you something, guys. If you've not been in this moment, this moment will come. And let me tell you, your next sentence is going to define a significant part of what's going to happen next. Because in that moment, she's not asking for an identity, okay? Oh, I just tell her, I just tell them your name's Jenny. You know that? That's not what she's asking. She's asking for an association. Who am I to you? How do we relate to each other? And if you say, I just say we're really good friends. (laughs) Cold shoulder. Doesn't go down well. But if you answer something different, man alive, the next part of your life is totally changed and you're working out a completely different scenario simply because of that DTR, the define the relationship moment. Now, why am I telling you this this evening? Why am I telling you about my mate Dave? Well, it's because that's where we are in Mark's gospel this evening, okay? This is um, a part of where Jesus has been hanging out with his disciples. Uh, They've been seeing what he does. They've been listening to what he says. Uh, They've been at the come and see stage. They've been part of what he's doing. They've been seeing where he's going. And we hit this part. And this is the big part of Mark's gospel. This book, this is the centerpiece. The whole thing is circled around this moment. The whole first half of the book will break at this moment and the second half of the book is about to explain what's happened here. It's all about this conversation that Jesus has because it's a DTR. He asks his friends, who am I to you? And he's not asking them to be his girlfriend, just to be clear. But Mark's gospel pivots on this. And Mark explains who Jesus is in this moment. And he poses the question to us, who is he to you? So we see in verse 27 that Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea and Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? Okay, so Jesus has taken his disciples to this area called Caesarea, okay? And it's in the far north of the country. It's like the furthest away from any human activity you can get to. It is in the sticks. It is out in nowhere, okay? I would make a joke about some of the places where some of you are from, but that's too obvious and I'll move on, okay? He's taken them into the middle of nowhere where it's just Jesus and his disciples. And he asked them, who do people say I am? He's saying, guys, when you're out on the streets, when you're mingling with the regular folk, Who do they say that? When you're going shopping, when you're going for a coffee, when you're hanging out with people, 
what do they say about me? And the answer that they give is they say, some say John the Baptist, others think you're Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And everyone that the disciples say in verse 28 has something in common. They say, he's a powerful guy who speaks on behalf of God. They're saying that when the crowds of people, when the regular folks see you, Jesus, and they see what you've been doing and what you've been saying and what you've been teaching, they think he's a really profound, mystical teacher. In other words, he's a really, really great guy. And if you ask people today, the crowds, the regular folk outside, they'll say exactly the same thing. If you go onto Amazon and you looked up the top selling, the best seller of spiritual books, they'll say, Jesus, he was, a, he was a good messenger, a profound teacher, a political revolutionary. I remember in my RE class, literally, my old teacher, Mr. Eyre, his name was, basically said, Jesus was a really, really great guy, but that's it. So these crowds have a generic view of Jesus. They've put him in a box. But then in verse 29, Jesus turns to his followers. He says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And we realize that Jesus asked this first question about other people simply so he can get to the second question, to ask his boys what they think of him. Here he has the D-T-R. Where are we? We've been hanging out. You've seen me, you've seen what I'm about, the rest of the world has an opinion on me, but what do you think? Imagine the situation, they're out in the middle of nowhere, I like to imagine it's dark, they're around a campfire, okay, I don't know why, it just seems like what blokes would do, and you're around a campfire, they're having a laugh, and they're having fun, they're playing some jokes, and Jesus is like, so, so what do people say, I, who do they say I am? And then you can imagine one of them pipes up, something you're John the Baptist, <laughs> Others think, others think you're Elijah. Oh my word, I can't believe that. Do you know what? Someone thinks you're one of the prophets. He's raised from the dead. <laughs> and you can imagine Jesus. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> what about you? You can imagine it deadly silent. Just the crackle of the fire in the background. And it's completely silent until Peter good old Peter, bursts out, breaks the silence, but he's deadly serious. He says, you're the Christ. He says, you're the chosen one of God. In, in Matthew's version of accounts, he says, you're the son of the living God. Jesus says, yeah. Yeah. Now at this point, Peter and the rest of the disciples, they didn't fully understand the implications of what they've just said. So in the next verse, Jesus warns them. He says, keep them. Don't tell anyone. Keep this to yourself, boys. Jesus in this moment, he's not trying to do mass evangelism. He's not trying to spread the fame across the entire nation. He's keeping it to himself. He says, the disciples say, Jesus, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right, but keep it to yourself because you don't really know what I'm about. You don't really know. But the disciples, they've said something amazing. They've said something really important. They've gone, everyone else, Jesus, every single other person around here, they think you're a really, really great guy. But we think you're more than that. We think that you 
are the one man that we've been waiting for. We think that you're this guy, that when, when creation went wrong because humans sinned and it did wrong and there was now a chasm broken between God and man, but God in the beginning promised that there would be a boy born that somehow would make everything right. That we've learned about since we were little children and that we've been waiting for our entire lives. We think you're that guy, Jesus. And something happens when they identify Jesus like that. And in verse 31, we read that Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's the way Jesus referred to himself, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Notice the word in that verse that says began. When they had made that commitment to Jesus, when they had defined the relationship, suddenly Jesus begins to open up a whole world of teaching which he's never taught them before. In that moment, a principle plays out which all of us completely understand, okay? You will have seen this work in every single relationship you've had and will have in the future to come, okay? When someone, you first meet them, you don't immediately tell them everything you're thinking in that moment because they will think you're crazy. What happens? If that person meets you and they show that they're friendly, they're nice, they're in it for the long haul, that they want to be friends with you and they're not going anywhere, you start to share more about yourself with them. We see that with great commitment comes greater intimacy. So the disciples, they say, look, all these other guys, they think this, but we think you're the Christ. And Jesus says, all right, let me teach you something then, boys. And he says that the Son of Man must suffer, be rejected by a whole bunch of people, die, and then three days later, rise. He starts telling them, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm going to do. Yes, I am this guy that you think I am, but I must die. And I won't stay dead. I will rise again. And sometimes we read that and we think, surely the disciples already knew that. Surely that's Jesus 101. That's the basics. But verse 32 tells us this is the first time Jesus has taught them this plainly. Before, Jesus has been a bit cryptic. He's been hiding behind like smoke and mirrors. He's been saying weird phrases like, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it back up. And everyone goes, what? That thing's huge. How are you going to do that? And then he says other things like, oh, the bread of life must be broken. They go, what? They don't understand It's it's all kind of hidden. Jesus is being a bit slippery with it. But here, he's clear. He says, you guys, you're committed to me. So I'm going to be straight with you. There's no hiding behind anything. I'm going to Jerusalem, the capital city, and when I get there, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer, and then I'm going to rise up from the grave. That's what I'm about to do. And notice that when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, in verse 31, it says that he must die. He must suffer. He must be rejected. It's got to happen. It's necessary. Jesus isn't just telling them, guys, it's been really nice to get to know you over the past few months, and in two years' time, I'm going to be dead. That's not, he's not just telling them some facts. He's saying this has to happen. 
He says, do you want to know who I am? I am the Christ. I'm the chosen one of God. Do you want to know what's coming, what's happening, what I'm going to do? Well, it's necessary that I go to Jerusalem, I get rejected, I suffer and I die because that is God's solution for you, for where you've gone wrong, where you've messed up so that he can reconnect you back to God. It's God's plan to have a suffering saviour. And Peter, he hears this. He hears what, 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 what Jesus is saying in that moment where he says, on the cross you're going to see the justice and the love of God where I die because God has to punish the wickedness of men and yet he shows the love by pouring it all out on me, his chosen one, so that you can be free and forgiven and come into a relationship with God. And Peter hears that and he goes, he thinks, he thinks what a lot of us think. We love the idea of a relationship with God. Love, love, love. Isn't it all wonderful? But we hate the idea of suffering and pain. And so Peter takes Jesus aside. He goes, look, Jesus, you're starting to sound a bit negative, man. Come on. Buck up. Pull yourself together. You're the Christ. It's not going to happen to you. It doesn't have to happen that way. And Jesus' response is he turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. You haven't got your thoughts on the things of God, but on the things of men. Do you hear what Jesus is saying there? He's saying that if you take God's plan to bring us all into a relationship with him, but you remove the suffering, you remove the cross, that's satanic. It's wrong. It's evil. It's bad. Jesus says, I must die. The way of glory, the way so that you can come into a relationship with God is through pain, suffering, and death. And we see that actually, in the next verse, it's not just for Jesus. Verse 34, he then calls a crowd to him, along with the disciples, and he says, if anyone would come after me, he has to deny himself, take up a cross and follow me. He says, I'm on my way to suffer and to die so that you can be saved. And if you really want to follow me, if you really want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, he says, no longer just watching me break some bread and share it with a bunch of people. No longer just watching me do a bunch of miracles. If you really want to follow me, if you really want the intimacy with God the Father that I'm offering you through my way of saving you, then it's down a road that is going to be filled with pain. With greater commitment comes greater intimacy but it's at a great cost. Jesus is saying, if you want to come after me, if you want to walk where I'm going, you will receive great joy, but you will also get pain. A book in the New Testament called Philippians, in its first chapter, it puts it like this. For it has been granted to you on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Do you want to know God? Then know this. It is a completely free offer through Jesus Christ. 
by simply trusting in him and what he's done on the cross for you so that you can have an intimate relationship with God the Father. And that commitment will bring you intimacy with God, but it comes at a great cost. The road of glory is down a road of pain. And Jesus puts it like this. He says, you must deny yourself. If you want to walk with me, you've got to deny yourself. No longer do you get to go where you want to go. No longer do you get to do what you want to do. No longer do you get to spend your money on whatever you want to spend your money on. And as well as denying yourself, he says you've got to take up your cross. You've got to take up your implement of death and humiliation. The reality is, Jesus is saying, if you want to walk with me, if you want to go where I'm going, you're going to have to die. You're going to have to die to some things. He says, there are things in this world that people do that you're not going to get to do. There are places that they are going to go which you cannot go to. And as you choose a different path to them, as you choose to follow me instead of the rest of the world, they're not only just going to, you're not just going to have to die to that and miss out on those things, but they're also going to mock you. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to make fun of you. And I know a lot of people, myself included, who've lost friendships because they've decided to become Christians. Other people I know, they've lost jobs, social standing, you name it. They've lost and sacrificed a whole host of things simply to follow God. And it's not that any of those things were wrong or bad in any way and Jesus hates those things. But he's saying that's not the goal, guys. That's not the goal. There is a self-denial. There is a cross. And Jesus says, when you follow me, you no longer go your own path. You no longer follow your own plans. But you do what? You look to me as your Lord and as your Savior. And I take you where you want to go. I take you where I want you to go. You deny yourself, take up a cross, and follow me. Now, doesn't that sound fun? This is Jesus, the evangelist. This is Jesus, the missionary. He gets a whole crowd around him. He gets everyone. He goes, he goes this, isn't just an, this, isn't, this isn't enough just telling it to you guys who are following me. Get a crowd around, guys. Everyone, if you want to follow me, come get some pain. Why would anybody want to do that? Why would anyone go through such pain, suffering, and sacrifice for Jesus? Well, let me put it this way. Okay, I share a house with two other guys, okay, and one of my housemates, some of you here will know him, some of you won't, that's fine. If anything, you're better off. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. His brother agrees. His name is Ryan. And let me tell you, Ryan in August is going to die. (laughs) And I'll tell you why it's because he's getting married. He's getting married. He's engaged, and in August, he's getting married. The single Ryan, as I know him, is going to die. No longer can Ryan do what he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. No longer can Ryan spend his money on whatever he wants to spend his money whenever he wants to spend it. No longer can Ryan come round my house, drink a few beers, eat some food, and watch the football when I phone him up. Because I'll phone him up, I'll go, hey, Ryan, the football's on. Do you want to come round? He'll go, yeah, yeah, oh, wait a minute. Rosie? Uh, yeah, Jack's just phoned me, and he's saying that some of the guys don't know. Oh, okay. 
I'm just going to miss this one out, Jack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something's come up. Something's come up. Yeah, I'm just going to miss it out. It's over. It's finished. He's going to die. The single Ryan will die, and it's not just a one-time death. It's a continued sacrifice. And it's not a bed of roses for Rosie either, okay? Because she's marrying Ryan. I don't know if there are any girls here that have dreamed about their wedding day, okay? Just can't wait for that day where you meet Mr. Wright and you get to put on a pretty white dress and walk down the aisle and everybody gets to look at you. Let me remind you, you are marrying a guy, which means that when you have your nice pretty bed with a thousand pillows on it and the frilly bits and cuddly toys, you will have a man in there who is hairy, sweaty, smelly. He's going to snore, okay? He's not going to understand you when you talk to him. You're going to try and communicate in ways that confuse him. He's not going to romance you on a daily basis. He's not even going to clean up after himself. He doesn't have the tools. He doesn't know how to do these kind of things. Marriage, I'm sure it's great, but it is a long life of death, suffering, and hardship for Ever until the day you die. Why would anyone do that? Why am I letting my housemate Ryan do this to himself? I haven't asked him this, but I'm sure he would say that when I get rosy and our eyes meet, we feel complete. What he's saying is, I know there's a cost. I know there are times where it's going to hurt, where it's going to be difficult, where I'm going to have to make sacrifices. But she's worth it. She's better. She's greater. And you know what? It's the same for Christians when it comes to following Jesus. In fact, even more so when following Jesus. And you see in verse 35, Jesus says, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Do you really want to know where life is? Joy is satisfaction, meaning, purpose. It's not in doing well at school. It's not eventually getting a great job, earning loads of money. It's not in being seen as cool by everyone else. It's not about having a whole bunch of mates. It's not about getting a girlfriend or a boyfriend. It's not. Those things are good, they're fine, but they're not the goal. And some of you, because you're following Jesus Christ, you will have to sacrifice some of those things and lose them for following him. But the fullness of life is in him. It is in Jesus. The cost is great, but let me tell you now, the benefits are so much greater. In my second year of college, I've been a Christian a little while. And I have friends that I tried to stay friends with them. I really did. And I'm glad to say I am friends with some of them still now. And it wasn't that I thought they're evil, they're terrible, they're wrong, they're bad. But they were doing things that I just knew I couldn't do 
as a Christian. I knew I couldn't do them. And it wasn't that I broke off the friendship or they broke off the friendship with me. It's just I couldn't go where they were going. And by the end of my second year of college, I tell you now, I was alone. I felt so alone apart from him. And it was worth it. It was worth it. If you're a Christian here this evening, let me tell you something. You have to make some sacrifices in your life. You can't do everything that your friends are doing. You can't just do what you want to do when you want to do it. You can't spend your money on whatever you want to spend your money on whenever you want to spend it. This following Jesus, it affects how you use your spare time. It affects how you spend your money. It affects your sex life. It affects your friendships, your relationships, your family. It affects everything. But let me tell you now, there's no victims in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus Christ is better In his presence is the fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That can't be improved upon, guys. That can't be improved upon. So we need to answer the question that Jesus asks here. Who do you say I am? Am I just a great guy? Or am I the fullness of life where you're going to have to make sacrifices but I am so much better. Just to end guys, I'd love it if we could just all just all just take a moment shut our eyes. If every eye could be closed here for a moment. And I think there are there are two responses to what I've said this evening. And the first one is for those of you who've been following Christ for a while, who would say you're a Christian, that Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. But you know, and as I've been speaking, the Holy Spirit has been saying to you, there are things in your life You've not sacrificed to me. And he's saying, I'm better than those. I think he's pinpointing particular things, things that are sinful, and some things that are just a distraction. And like we were in worship, he's saying, look up, stop hiding away. Let the tropical storm drench you. And I'd like to just say, if that's you, as a, as a sign, as a physical act to say to Jesus, I am going to sacrifice whatever he's laying on your heart tonight so that I will follow you with everything I've got. If that's you, and I ask while every eye is closed, just to raise a hand in the air. If that's you. Okay, great. Put your arms down now, guys. You know who you are. 
the others of you, it might be someone who's never, ever made a commitment to follow Jesus. And he's asking the question, who am I to you? And you've been around a while, you've seen what he's been doing. And you've heard what I've said tonight, that there is a cost to following him. But you know deep down that he is better. If that's you, while every eye is closed, no one's looking, would you just raise a hand? Okay. I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you for what we've heard. I thank you for the truth of who you are, that you are better. That you are better. And Jesus, we've got things that we want to just lay before you tonight. And we want to say, we don't want these things anymore if it obstructs us from following you. You are better. You are the fullness of joy in our satisfaction. Thank you, Father. Amen. We're going to, yeah, I think we're going to have a moment where we're just going to sing maybe one song more as response. If you're one of the guys that raised your hand saying, I know there are some things I need to sacrifice, use this time now as we sing in worship just to say, Jesus, you are better, and I lay these at your feet. And also, it may be helpful if you, at the end of this evening, maybe talk with a trusted Christian buddy or your youth leader about anything that came up that God was speaking to you about. Over to